to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. For me, studying Genesis, although it's taking us back to the beginning, it just keeps me encouraged about the future. Because when I go all the way back to the beginning and realize this is where it all started, it all started with God. And all of these things, these are the great realities that that life is, is based on. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis, chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, in a message titled, Cursed is the Earth. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We were born into sin, and of course, that's why we needed to have a baptism as infants to get ourselves cleansed from that original sin. But the term original sin is, in a sense, it's a biblical term. Because what it's describing is what happened to us as a result of what Adam did. And, and that's what Paul talks about in the fifth chapter of Romans, if you want to flip over there in your Bible. Let's take a look at it for a moment. In the 12th verse, Paul says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. Now, what Paul is is teaching here in this fifth chapter and what he's telling us about what happened back in the garden and what happened back when man originally sinned, he is telling us that Adam was acting as what theologians would call a, a federal head. Now, a federal head is a person who acts on behalf of others. We, we have a federal government and what does the federal government do? They, they do a lot of things, and they do them on our behalf, if you will. Their actions affect us, right? They make a decision, and we have to abide by that decision. Now, you might say, I didn't agree with that decision. I wouldn't have made that decision. Too bad. They don't care, do they? That's the way it works with a federal head. And, and so it was with Adam. Adam was the federal head of the human race. He, he wasn't just the first man, but he was the representative of all who would come after him. So, you know, somebody will say, I, well, I don't like this idea that I was made a sinner because of Adam. You can't really do anything about it. That's just the way it is. This is the way God ordained it. And so, as Paul says here, through one man, Adam, of course, sin entered into the world, and death came in as the result of sin, and death spread to all because all sinned. Now, here's the question. When did all sin, or, or what is he referring to when he says, for all sinned? He's not referring to the, the sins that we commit at that point in our lives when we get to that stage where we start to willfully disobey God. 
But he's actually saying that when Adam sinned, we all sinned with him. So all sinned because of our connection back to Adam. So this is, this is the way God set it up, that when Adam acted, he was appointed as the head or the representative of his seed. He acted on behalf of his seed, and he passed on to his seed the fruit of his actions. So when we talk about original sin, that we are born into sin, it is what you might call imputed sin. It is sin that is placed on our account because of what Adam did. Again, you might say, well, I I don't like that. That doesn't sound fair to me. It's just the way it is. But the other side of the coin, and this is what Paul is talking about here in the fifth chapter of Romans, the other side of the coin brings out a beautiful side of this whole idea of a federal head. In verse 14, Paul says, concerning Adam, he says, Adam was a type of him who was to come. He tells us here that Adam was a type of Christ. So how how was Adam a type of Christ? Well, this is how Adam was a type of Christ. Look at verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. You see, Adam was a type of Christ in that Adam acted on behalf of his seed. He was a type of Christ in that that's exactly what Jesus did. One man sinned, we all became sinners. One man lived righteously, and by putting our faith and trust in him, we then are declared to be righteous. So just as God imputed Adam's sin to the human race, God imputes the righteousness of Jesus Christ to those who put their faith and trust in him. So you say, well, it's not fair what God did with Adam, then that would sort of nullify the possibility of God doing what he did with Christ. But this is the way God has done it. And so through one man's disobedience... Through Adam's disobedience, we were made sinners. But by the obedience of Christ, we will be made righteous. And of course, there is the element of choice. We have to make the decision. We have to choose. Just as Adam chose to walk away from God, we have to choose to come back to God. But once we do make that choice, then that righteousness that God provides is then imputed to us. But you see, this is the way things really are. People can deny it. People can argue about it. But you know, all of these arguments and all of these theories and all of these contradictions, but you know, when you look at the world, it really is the way the Bible 
said it would be. And, and likewise, when you take just the world that we live in, and let's take the two models. Let's take the humanistic model, the humanistic explanation for what the world is and why the world is, and let's take the biblical model, the biblical explanation for what the world is and why it is, and when you just look at the way the world is, you know what? The world fits with the biblical model much better than it does with the humanistic model. As one man said, no matter how hard people try to do away with male dominion, agonizing labor, painful childbearing, and death, these evils still continue. Why? Because they are the fruit of sin. This is the world we live in. You can imagine that there's another world. You can hope for another world. You can try to, you know, produce uh, another world. But, you know, it... it it always comes back to the same old thing. Think of all of the efforts in the 20th century to produce the perfect world, the perfect society, the classless society, all of these different things. You know, I was reading some imbecilic socialist comments the other day talking about how he just is, you know, longing for the day when America will become a farmer's paradise like Cuba. And, you know, he had gone to Cuba for two weeks after he graduated from university, went as a socialist, met some of the people there, and I'm sure they wined him and dined him, and he's come back just, you know, this is a, this is a worker's paradise. This is the ideal place on the planet to live. This is the way to live. But he didn't see all of those hundreds of thousands of miserable farmers who've been deprived, who've been oppressed. You know, again, the Bible. The Bible gives us the clearest picture of reality. And the world looks exactly like the Bible says it would look. It looks just like that. But of course, we can't stop with just the, the curse because we know the end of the story, right? And we know that God, as he promised in that same passage there, that he would send a deliverer, that he would send a redeemer who would crush the head of the serpent and we know that he's already done that. Jesus has already come. But people will say, well, you know, if Jesus has already come, then why is everything still the way it is? But, of course, we have to remember that Jesus came to deal with the core root issues and to begin to work out his plan on an individual level, but certainly he's going to come again, as the many prophecies tell us, and then he's going to bring his plan to fulfillment, to a total and complete and uh, an obvious fulfillment for all to see. But what he's doing in the present time 
as we've said before, he's renewing individual hearts. He's renewing individual lives. He's alleviating the effects of the curse from individual men and women forgiving their sins, filling them with his spirit, and causing them to now begin to live once again as they were intended to live according to the image of their creator. And if you look close enough, if you take the time, you can see little pockets or little glimpses or little communities of what is ultimately going to come and be a worldwide experience. But we're not there yet, but it seems that the process toward getting there is escalating with each passing day. You know, it's, it's pretty astounding how quickly things are changing. And, you know, for years and years, we've been talking about how all of these different things had to come together. And, you know, how many times have we heard sermons about how the United States has to decline? And, you know, the question is so often asked, well, you know, where's the United States in prophecy? And the answer that we always give is it's not there. Well, why isn't it there? We don't know for sure. Of course, the the whole prophetic picture centers around the Mediterranean world. But, you know, many have thought and, and believed, and perhaps rightfully so, that the U.S. would become irrelevant because it would sort of do what the Roman Empire did and just sort of collapse from within. And it seems like we're, we're kind of moving in that direction. I'm not going to you know, predict anything and say that, that that's absolutely certainly the way it's going and there, there isn't going to be a turnaround or anything like that. But you know, it's looking fairly bleak at the moment, I, I would say. And you know, could anybody really turn things around. But we've talked so often about the coming one world order. We've talked so often about globalization. We've talked much about the, you know, forming of the the European bloc of nations. And globalism is something that, of course, we've thought about and talked about and preached on. And, you know, isn't it astounding that the things that are happening right now, not maybe not, you know, the the finer details, but just generally speaking, the way things are currently, these are things that Bible teachers have been predicting would happen for the last hundred years, longer than that. But in the last hundred years, that's when they're you know, seem to come a real fresh new understanding of biblical prophecy and and things of that nature. But back during the Second World War, when people were speculating, and understandably so, that maybe Hitler was the Antichrist, there were Bible teachers that said, no, he can't be. As much as he might look like the Antichrist, he can't be. Why? Because we know the scriptures say that Israel is going to be back in their land and, you know, there was a, a scenario that they had understood from the Bible. Of course, at the time, uh, Israel was still scattered. But then in 48, they came back into the land. 
We know the situation in Israel tonight is a bit dire. People are losing hope in their government. So why am I off on this tangent? (laughs) I'm off on this tangent to say this. Yes, the world has been under a curse. But Jesus came and he died for sin. And he became a curse for us. And he's, like I, like I said, he's, you know, for us who have received him, he's, he's lifting already to some extent the effects of the curse off of us, not totally and completely. But the point is he's going to ultimately do that. And just as, just as the history of the world testifies to the truth of the Bible, and just as world history has played out, just as God said it would right here in the garden when he pronounced the judgment upon man and upon this world, we can be certain that everything else he said is going to play out just like he said it would as well. And so we're moving toward that day when all of this that we've been studying, all of this is going to be just a faint memory. And the Lord will come and he will set up his righteous kingdom. And if you read the prophecies of Isaiah, they're in the 11th chapter or the 35th chapter, that beautiful picture of life in the kingdom of Christ, in the millennial kingdom. When the carnivorous beasts are grazing, the bear and the ox are grazing side by side. And the leopard and the lamb are lying down together. And a young child is playing over the cobra's den with no fear, no danger whatsoever. And the knowledge of the Lord fills the earth. And and in that millennial kingdom, as we refer to it, the thousand-year reign of Christ, we will have the world restored back to what it was to a large degree, prior to the fall. So that's where it's all headed. And as, as we move closer and closer to that reality, of course, there are some dark days that precede that that are inevitably going to come, but we shouldn't lose heart. Where, where is our trust? Is our trust in the United States government? Is our trust in the United States Treasury? Where is our trust? Our trust is in the Lord. And he's the Lord who made heaven and earth. And he's the Lord who's going to fulfill his word right down to the smallest detail. And he's the Lord who knows his creation so intimately that not even a sparrow can fall to the ground without God's consent. Isn't that amazing? 
A sparrow cannot fall to the ground without God's consent. And as Jesus said, if God shows that much concern for the birds, if the grass of the field, you know, which is beautiful today, but tomorrow is mowed down and thrown into the oven, if God takes care of the flowers and they have a beauty that far exceeds Solomon in all of his splendor. How much more will he take care of us? Those that are his children. The ones that he's taken the time to number the hairs on our head as he knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows our words before they're formed in our mouth. He knows when we lay down at night. He knows when we get up in the morning. He's acquainted with all of our ways. So, I I don't know. For me, studying Genesis, although it's taking us back to the beginning, it just keeps me encouraged about the future. Because when I go all the way back to the beginning and realize this is where it all started. It all started with God. And all of these things, these are the great realities that, that life is, is based on. And all of the other stuff around us, although it seems so important at times and it seems like, you know, sometimes those things eclipse the spiritual realities, we've got to keep going back to the word and reminding ourselves, no, this is... This is the real thing here. And all of this other stuff we already know, Jesus said, heaven and earth is going to pass away. My words are never going to pass away. And as we see what's going on around us, we should be encouraged because it's just further confirmation of the truth of God's word. It just really increases our faith. One last thought. Did sin bring pain in childbirth? No one knew more pain than Jesus did when he, through his suffering, brought many sons to glory. Did thorns come with sin? Jesus wore a crown of thorns. Did sin bring sweat to man's brow? Jesus sweat, as it were, great drops of blood in procuring our salvation. Did sin bring sorrow? Jesus became a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Did sin bring death? Jesus tasted death for everyone. You see, whatever sin did, Jesus undid by coming and giving his life for us. And like I said, and like you know, many of you, he's undone the effects of sin already to such a large extent in your own life. We're just waiting for him to undo it all in regard to the whole planet. And he's going to do it. And in that, we rejoice. And in that, we rest. And we can have peace, even though the world around us might be crashing. The markets might be crashing. We've got the Lord, and he's with us, and he's going to fulfill his promise. 
For the month of September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. Have you ever wondered why God created things? Why did God create rainbows? Why did God create rain? Why did God create different animals or vegetation? Why did God create anything at all? Well, in his book, Andrew Wilson explains that God had a very specific purpose for creation, and God uses it even to this day to display His wisdom and to teach us that wisdom as well. Gleaning the insights that can be found in ordinary things, Andrew Wilson takes from both the Old and New Testaments to show how the ordinary things of God can reveal the extraordinary God of all things. The book, God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson is our gift to say thank you for your donation to Back to Basics. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.